Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Um, you know, all of our lives, the nativity scene becomes so familiar to us that sometimes we lose sight of the elements that make up the nativity scene. They're on Christmas cards, you know, they're, they're on, you see them on movies, the nativity scene in movies. We're so surrounded by it, we've become so familiar with it. I want us to take a microscope today and I want us to zoom in on three elements of the nativity scene today. The first element is the star. The star. We just saw a moving human star in the uh, video. But I want us to travel in on the star today. Uh, Matthew 2 verse 9 says this, When they heard the king, they departed. This is the wise men. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want you to take a little note of this. What an incredible miracle that God provided a star that was obviously clearer than all the other stars. Have you ever looked into the night sky recently and see how many glittery things there are in the sky? This one obviously stood out above all the rest. And it says when they saw it, they were joyful. And then not only that, but the, the star became a GPS, Google Maps, personal guidance system. And so they literally saw the star and they were led by a supernatural sign in the sky, a personal travel assistant. And it took them not only into the vicinity, let's just think about this, how do you know when you're standing under a star? I mean, you're standing over under thousands of stars at night. But somehow this star took them right to the very address of where Jesus was staying at that point in time. And this is what I want us to think about this morning as we think about the nativity. And the first thing is the star. Is that God has an uncanny ability to assign, as it were, a person that can assist us to get to where we need to go in life. And to take us to the Christ, the Son of God, and lead us specifically there. I'll never forget the first experience I had where this type of thing happened to me. A supernatural thing where I, I had a close friend, he was going to university, he was studying law, and, uh, and his mother didn't want him to get into trouble, as a lot of university students were doing at that time. So she suggested he find a good flat to go and stay in. So she found him a Christian flat to apply for. He, won't, he, wasn't, he ain't no Christian, I can tell you that right now. So we'd been high the night before, and we went round to the, um, to the address, and it was very quickly... Um, we, we, we very quickly found that the person inside the flat who was taking interviews recognized immediately that we weren't Christians. And so he took the opportunity to tell us 
about who Jesus was. He became that guiding star for two very lost people who were able to actually hear words of love, words of life, words that had power. Because I'll tell you what happened next. As he was talking to us, we felt this incredible presence in the room. And we knew we were having a supernatural experience of which neither him or I had ever experienced before. When, we, when he finished sharing the gospel with us, we walked out of the house. I was driving. We looked, as we looked across the roof of the car at each other, and we were just shaking our heads, what on earth was that? We'd never felt so happy. We'd never felt so high. Because God has an uncanny ability, whoever you are, wherever you are, to assist you with a personal assistant to guide you to the Son of God. Can you say amen to that this morning? And I want us this morning, you know, if you've, you're one of those blessed ones this morning where as you celebrate Christmas, you already have Christ in you. Because somebody on your journey assisted you to find Jesus. Maybe it was a close friend, maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a pastor. I don't know who it was, but somebody was in the equation in your life. It's very rare that God doesn't use another human being to help introduce us to Jesus, even if it's in the sowing of the seed stage in the early times. And I, I, this Christmas, I just want to remind you, and I want you to remind yourself, of how personalized God has been in your life. And maybe I just want you to think about some of the people this morning that were involved in that process that brought you to that place of believing and that place of confessing and that place of receiving Jesus into your life. Now, if you're here today and you haven't yet taken that step, then you are, you're classified as what the Bible calls a seeker. And I want to tell you right now, that if you honestly search, the Bible says, they who seek, they find. I want to tell you that good things are coming your way. If you're still here in this place of seeking this morning, under the sound of these words, I want to tell you, God's about to send a star into your life that's going to bring you to this, where the Son of God lives so that you can have Him in your heart. The second part of the nativity scene I want us to focus in on today is the stable. We saw the bellboy in the video. <laughs> there ain't no room here. And, uh, and he sent him to the stable. You know, Luke 2.7 says this, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. All the motels and all the hotels in Bethlehem were full. Do you know why they were full? Because there had been a consensus, uh, sorry, a census that had been demanded by the Roman Empire. And that's the reason why a young teenage girl who's heavily pregnant ends up on a donkey going to Bethlehem. Because by law, by the Roman law, they had to go and be part of the census and be counted. And so they turn up, but everything's full. There is literally no place to stay. Now, I want, I want you to try and get a fresh glimpse of this just for a moment because there's something powerful in the story of the stable that applies to each and every one of our lives. They get sent out back to a place 
where animals are sheltered, where their excrement has fallen, where their feeding troughs have been filled, because after all, that's what a manger is. Most of us wouldn't have a clue what a manger is, except the fact that it's in Scripture, that it's actually a feeding trough for animals. Now, let's just think about this for a moment. I want you to think about something. If God can command a star in the heavens to move and shift so that a person on earth looking at that star can find an exact pin location that can be dropped where Jesus is, don't you think that same God could also find a little bit better accommodation for the child that was about to be born? So obviously, he chose not to. He could have done it, but he didn't do it. So then the question is, is, is this, why? Why was the king of the universe who left heaven to be born in a virgin's womb, why was he born in such lowly, poor economic conditions when he could have been born at the Bethlehem Hilton Hotel? You've got to ask yourself that question. I want to tell you why this morning, and why I believe it is. And this is the reason why, friends, is that... I want, let me ask, let me, before I answer that, let me ask you another question. Another question today. How much do we have in common with the billionaires, with the aristocrats, with the famous people of this world. How much can we relate to their world? There's your answer. I want to tell you why Jesus was born in a stable. He was born not into a white-collar world of wealth and opulence. He was born into the blue-collar world. His father was a builder, a construction worker. He was born into a low economic family. He was born into a family that had enough to get by, but they weren't the rich and the famous. He was born in a place where animals were tethered and where they were fed because he was born into a real world because in the real world, real people live. You and I are real people. We go through, we experience real life. We experience the anger. We experience times of economic stress. We experience uh, difficulties within our world. And I want to tell you something. Don't ever say that there's a saviour that can't relate to your world because he can relate to your world more than you would ever know today. He wasn't born at the Hilton. He was born in a stable. Wow. Wow. It reminds me of a famous aristocrat politician called Nikolai Ceausescu. I'm going to have the next slide. This was his house. You'll find this in Bucharest in Romania. And he built this for him and his wife to live in. He built this and ruled with an iron fist in a communist-led government in Romania for 24 
years. He lived in a world of absolute opulence. Can I have the next slide? There's his gold-plated bath and shower. There is his lobby on the front. There is the Grand Palace stairways that came in. And you know what he told his people? He told them when economic conditions were, conditions were so rough, he said, just eat cabbage while he ate caviar. And for 24 years, the common man and the common woman of Romania began to simmer with resentment and resentment began to build into hatred. Because you know why? They all knew that their leader could not relate to the world that they were living in. They were living in a world of poverty. Romania was so poor. They had no money to fix machinery. They had no money. I've been to Romania a couple of times now and ministered over in Romania. We know what it's like. Even now, all these decades after Ceausescu was in power, the country is still poverty-stricken. The roads are terrible. The infrastructure is shocking. All because this one man lived the life of the rich and the famous and used to host international guests at this house of his that cost millions and millions and millions of dollars all at the taxpayer's expense while spouting a doctrine and a teaching that all men could live equal under communist regime. See, the two don't add up, friends. And, and at the end of the day, the Romanian people had enough. And you know what they did? They were so sick of the way he lived his life that they charged literally the palace. They got a hold of Ceausescu and his wife. They executed them on public television under a firing squad. They went into this palace and they took all of the opulence they could find and they, took, they spat on it, they jumped on it, they broke as much stuff as they could because all of their inward rage and hatred came out because they knew this man had lived a false life all these years while the people struggled. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is the opposite. How can you say that of a, of a man who was born into a stable amongst the straw and, and amongst the pulp? And in that place where not even most of us have ever been even born into a situation, most of us at least had the luxury of a hospital bed that we were born into. I want to tell you something. Your saviour can relate to your world. Why? Because he's been there and he's walked the talk. Hallelujah this morning. So... If you have a life, lived a life without advantage, I want to tell you, Jesus lived it. Jesus faced discrimination. Jesus faced oppression. He experienced rejection at the highest level where he never put a foot out of order. And yet, his very own people, the Jewish people, rejected him. The Bible says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Wow, he really knew what it was like. He knew and experienced the death of loved ones. You know, oftentimes Christmas can be a very difficult time for people who have lost loved ones because it takes them straight back in their minds when that person was alive and what they used to be doing at Christmas. Jesus, probably his closest friend who was six months older than him, was called John the Baptist, his first cousin. 
was executed and beheaded at the age of 30. Jesus knew what it was like to experience grief and sadness in his life. And of course, he knew what it was to experience physical pain. So I want to tell you this morning, if you've got an inner cry in your heart that says, nobody understands me, nobody can possibly understand my circumstances today, I want to tell you, the Son of God can. Jesus understands you. He gets you and he knows exactly what's going on in your life today. Thirdly and finally this morning, let's zoom in on that manger, that little ordinary feeding trough. We've seen the star, we've seen the stable. And I want you to zoom in on the manger today. Please don't think this was a first century carved wooden bassinet. This was literally a place where a cow, a horse, or a pig had been feeding from that Jesus was placed in. In Palestine, at the time that Jesus was born into an agricultural nation, lots of donkeys, lots of cattle, lots of animals, and they all had to be fed. And the Son of God, the glorious leader of heaven chose to be born in a feeding trough. But I want to tell you something. That ordinary feeding trough gets turned into an extra, extraordinary thing when the Son of God has been laid inside that feeding trough. And it reminds me this morning as we're, as we're reflecting on Christmas Day, this is what it reminds me. It reminds me that God can take the most ordinary person and when Christ is laid inside that ordinary person, when Christ is laid in your heart and my heart, He can turn you into an extraordinary thing. Most of us would have never known what a manger was except for the fact that Jesus was born into one. And the whole world knows. Carols are sung about Him every year, this time of the year, about the one away in the manger. So can I remind you today that your life is destined not just for the ordinary, but when Christ is laid in your heart, your life is destined for the extraordinary. Your life is destined for greater things than these are yet to be seen than what we're living and experiencing right now. Never lose sight of the fact that God loves to use ordinary people. In fact, He delights and using ordinary people. Did you know this? What the Bible says in Corinthians? This is what it says. It says, He doesn't choose many mighty and many noble people. He chooses those who are not. Those who have no reputation. He chooses the are nots to confound those who are in their own eyes. And so if you're prepared to humble yourself, then I want to tell you, your ordinary life can be turned into an extraordinary life today.